Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host, per usual, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting. How you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderfully. Lots of fun stuff going on. Spring's approaching. All sorts of stuff. All sorts of non-waterfowl activities going on. Awesome. Did you notice I didn't I didn't say any nickname at the in the intro there? I didn't even notice. No. You know, I, I think that's like the it. first time I've done that since probably like I don't know uh, a couple years. <laughs> Are you mad at me or something? No, I just I just thought I'd change it up. See see the, see how that felt. Okay, it felt wrong. All right, you can call it me that or don't call me that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. So it's off season and full swing. Definitely getting a little boring around here. How about- I have been, it's been gloomy for me the last couple of days. The weather's been gray and literally the last two days, the only thing I've really felt like doing is just crawling in bed and watching um, Last Chance You, the basketball. Have you seen any of those Last Chance You shows? I have no idea what that is. Oh man, it's a show on Netflix and they, they, <laughs> uh, they, first of all, they, they were following junior college football programs and it's like, you know, they're D one level athletes and they're at these junior colleges because their grades are bad or they've been in trouble. So it's like their this is their last chance to meet their dream of being a professional athlete. And, <laughs> and so they did a bunch of seasons of football and now this is their first season of basketball and they're out um, following this um, community college out in LA and the show is just phenomenal. If you're, if you like sports or even, even if you don't like, I told my wife that you would, she would like it cause it's like all wrapped up into the individuals and their personalities and their, they're walking life and man, they're just awesome. Awesome show. So I've been binge watching last chance you and the weather's been so bad. I, I've just been on the couch with my <laughs> headphones on under a blanket. <laughs> That's been, been, been my life. The last, I guess really the last 24 hours. Nice. You, Other than work, I've, I've gone to work. <laughs> Have you found any way to spin it off? Can we do like a last chance you duck hunter edition? Yeah, we could find some really down and out guy who keeps sky busting and like, kid, listen, this is your last chance. <laughs> Either knock off the sky busting and the whole will be all it's about. Gets well, one more chance. I'll see. I'll, I'll make a few calls, see if we can't get Matt to join us for the show. <laughs> <laughs> Dare we say Titus? <laughs> oh, That's a joke. That's a joke. Yeah. That's Yours nice. was a joke. At least one of us joked. Poor Calvin. no but but seriously i've i've been in full swing training georgie mode um the last i guess started over spring break so i'm trying to work her at least five at least five days a week i should probably do it seven days a week but i figure if i get in five a week i'm happy and i've gone back to the big problem georgie's had um is that i well i have had i screwed her up is that when i was doing hand signals she was doing awesome um, before last season, and then I got so confident, I just stopped following the the progression of the videos at the retrievertrainer.com, and it screwed me up. So 
I'm going back to the basics, starting at four pile, which she's got that down, but I'm, I'm like, I'm not deviating. Freddie said, do about five days or so. I did about five days. I stretched her out to hundred, 125 yards. Now I'm just moving into the left to the, I'm sorry, to, to whistle sit, which she's awesome with whistle sit. She's just money on that, but I'll whistle sit, stop her midway and then have her spin right or spin left back to the forcing her to the pile. So, um, and another thing that screwed me up in that off season is that I was doing it in my yard. And the problem I, the problem I got into is when you do the lefts and the rights, I just didn't have enough space in my yard. And I think it was confusing her when I was sending her left or right or left back and right back. Um, it was confusing her because the piles were so too close. There just wasn't enough space. So now I travel to this open field about five miles away from my house where I've got all this space. And, and I really, really think I'm going to try to put her in a, get her in a hunt test sometime this spring. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely some fun there. A lot of work. Um, getting, getting that every day and all that. I have, I really haven't been doing too much with chief, just a few retrieves here or there. Um, but I did call, I did call someone locally, um, to see <laughs> if they would work with chief and get him to not break. So I might do that. I kind of, I, I got mixed feelings about it. I just called to get info, but yeah, I got mixed feelings about it. I don't think you should pay to do that, man. <laughs> I don't think you should pay anyone to do that. I don't know. The All you need to do is when you start, because if you do that and then you go to your typical behaviors when you start hunting, it's not going to take. Because in the field, when she's breaking, you're not taking time to deal with it in the field. And if 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 that behavior in you doesn't change, then you're going to just be throwing your money in the, in, down the toilet. Mm. Yeah. Because you had her to the point she was steady. And then season started. You it's, can watch those dub videos. Season started and she was breaking and you weren't. Oh, sorry. I've always <laughs> had girl dogs. But season started and you're having these awesome dove hunts. And I'm watching them. And I'm like, you know, you got to stop her. You, you can't. You got to stop her. And that's got to be a training session. So if you pay all, if you pay the money and then you go into dove season, the first time she breaks, if, if you're not dedicated to correct it, it's, it's going to be useless. Yeah. See the. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does put her steady before it, season. She's steady until we hunt. That's the thing. So I know, um, but you're not correcting it in the field. Yeah, I mean the the way I've corrected it is to tie him up, and then if he doesn't get tied up in between shots, he he breaks. He knows the difference when he's tied up and when he's not. So, um, but why aren't you using the e-call in that situation? Just shocking, shocking the crap out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I've done it, man. He just. He just gets so excited that he'll run through a seven. <laughs> he's ran through him. Yeah. You can't show that part on he's YouTube. Ran, he's run through a, a seven with your finger down on it. I, I don't Not know if I've gone that hard. Run. Have, have you, have, um, with the e-collar conditioning, cause I know you did your e-collar conditioning before we had Chris Jobman on. And so, but when we talked to Chris, I mean, he had us like with that e-collar conditioning system. Now, if you're a, if you are a um, cornerstone gun dog guys, this is probably like, he probably pains you to hear this conversation, <laughs> but um, <laughs> because we're applying pressure, but with the e-collar training system, did you, did you train him on those higher levels of the e-collar? No, I don't think I ever got to the training part. But here's part of the thing too. When he was younger, I had drive issues. So he didn't have any yeah. drive issues now. So I was 
it kind of kind of went from me trying to play it super safe. I don't want to have any negative just because of the issues mm-hmm. I was having with drive to the point now where he's just like, he's got like unbelievably like, I don't know a dog with like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of drive mm-hmm. and um, almost to the point where it's like, it's hard to know how to handle it. Um, it's to the point where he's dragging blinds out into the decoys. <laughs> yes. If you haven't tied up, I mean, I've had, I have on dove hunts too. Yeah. He's literally, yeah. So, um, I mean, you're right. I still would have to, I still would have to correct him, but he's not even to the point where he's not breaking. And the thing is I can't create that except for during the hunting scenario. So you could, but your pigeon hunting. Yeah. You could do it through all your pigeon hunting. I could. There's that option. I don't know. I, I guess. I guess it. It certainly. I mean, depends on what you're willing to pay for that for that level of training. Because obviously, someone who's a professional is going to do a better job at that than you and I would do. Yeah. Because we're amateurs. So, you know. Yeah. It's. A, I mean, it's an option. I want to talk to somebody at least figure out kind of um, if it was an option to to do it. And it really comes down to me just choosing between what I'm going to spend my time on. And I just feel like I don't have enough time to, <laughs> to knock it out with everything else I'm trying to accomplish in the off season with, with content creation and bus build. I'm like, man, if I could just have someone fix this breaking issue, because I've tried it myself. Mm-hmm. I've said that at the beginning yeah. of two, the last two seasons and it didn't happen. So it's like trying to figure out, figure out a different route to hopefully solve it, which you're right. I could fix it myself, but it just hasn't happened. I've told myself I'm going to fix it for two seasons. And that's yeah. the one issue that just haunts me um, is that, you know, and we had some times where we broke and um, it's just not good. I, I don't like it. So yeah. um, I don't like it. I don't like the fact that he's at, you know, if, if, if people are still shoot, still shooting your dog, it's out there. That's what I don't like. So, yeah, there was certainly several times during those dove hunts where, you had to you had to hold off yeah on yeah. your third shot and i mean you're disciplined to do that but people that it's not their dog are not going to be as as cautious or as aware of it and mm-hmm. in that type of situation for sure and i know for a fact just watching my dad's dog candy that once you get a dog to the point where it has a history of not being steady he's worked with her the past four i mean four years off season about being steady and she will be steady. Like you said, she's steady in the field. I mean, in the training. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And then you get guns flying or shells flying and, and people excited and everything. It is a completely, you just can't simulate it for a dog that has for a, what's cheap? Three, four, three years old. No, he's for an older he's, dog. He's five now. Yeah. Yeah. For a five-year-old dog that has all of this history of this behavior, it's so much harder than when you, when you get them right off the bat, you know? Yeah. The thing, it's just, I think it comes down to like, so the excitement and then just like the desire, it's like, he's never, he's, he's never whined at like a bumper. You throw a bumper, like he doesn't whine, but like if we like pass up on a flock of geese, like on a passing shot and they don't finish, like he will literally like cry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we talked about that with Freddie King. He's, you know, so it's like, you just can't recreate that in the backyard. So, I mean, no. there's no way to fix it except for in the field. And I think that if I was, 
it just comes, it really does come down to, it's not a normal problem for most people to have. Cause I, I'm self filming all my hunts. Right. So it's like, there's mm-hmm. so many things you got to do at the same time. <laughs> and that's, Oh the, yeah. F- film self filming and controlling your dog is makes it way harder. Yeah. So yeah, that makes it hard to correct in the field, you know, and still capture all the videos. And at this point, I almost feel like, you know, it's just so much of a part of what we do. It's it's not like I can just like not film our first five hunts of the season or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it puts me in a weird spot. I'm I'm exploring alternative routes because yeah, I just want to. I guess <laughs> that makes sense. You know, I was texting with Chris Jobman the other day. I think we should get him on here and have that be um, just a question. We get his thoughts on that. Which I, I have we talked to him about that before. I don't know. It'd be too embarrassing to talk to Chris Jobman about, though. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. He, he'd be I, I, he's he'd such be an giving me a all star. He'd be giving me a tongue lashing about it or something. Well, hey, I've taken a few. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I love about Chris Jobman. If you know, he's the uh, owner operator of Flatlander Kennels, um, one of the most successful um, dog training facilities in the United States. If you're looking at, um, I always worry about my verbiage for the the name of the organizations because I'm not a part of it but Grand Champions or I know there's two different organizations but he has the highest of level dogs and so you know I, I love about him that he'll just straight shoot it with with me about what I'm doing wrong or or you know um, and he but he does it in a way where he's such a nice guy that I don't ever feel like he's being um, looking down on me you know yeah I feel like he's but I, I totally get it it's like. I've sent him a few videos in Georgie's training. It's like, oh man, I don't want to send this. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you yeah. text back. It's like, um, yeah, we've got lots of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. We need to have him back on soon. So the other thing, the other thing we can talk about from uh, this last week is NCAA tournament going on. And we did have the bracket no, challenge. I don't talk about that. Yeah. I knew you wouldn't. <laughs> I'm just glad that Matt joined the bracket challenge and he's in dead last. So, um, yeah, I am, I am too, because every single sports team that he likes annoys me. The thing is, if he would have, and his reasoning for liking Patriots those fan. teams, Patriots fan, because he's from Nebraska, it's stupid. <laughs> and he just, yeah, and that's an like, E. That's the hill he'll die on with that argument. Like he won't back down. Like he just keeps saying it. Like it's a, <laughs> it's a good way to explain it, which, Explain explain his argument, Elliot. So he's from Nebraska. He and in Nebraska, the Nebraska Cornhuskers is basically their professional team. If you've never been to Nebraska, it's like on game days the world stops in Nebraska for their football, <laughs> and and so their abbreviation is NE. So he says when he was a little kid, he saw that um, New England Patriots also were NE, and so it was like his Nebraska. So he made them his favorite team. Had nothing to do with them always winning and winning Super Bowls and all well, that. Well, <laughs> I wonder, because how old is he? So He's like 11, I think. He may That may have been... I'm, <laughs> he looks like that with no beard and mustache. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm wondering when he made that choice, was that before? Because when I was a kid, they sucked. And I'm a lot older than he is. I mean, they were terrible forever. Just terrible. But I'm guessing that he made that choice surprisingly about the time they started winning Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. How, 
I don't There's know how worse than a bandwagon jumper, man. Yeah, that is the bandwagon jumping kids. When I when I was young, the the type of person that always goes out and buys the hats or whatever, whatever the latest like dynasty team is, that just repulses me. It's really <laughs> annoying. Oh, uh, that's funny. That's funny. If you um, live in Kansas, we have a football team. That's your favorite team. Yeah. Period. Unless in le- there's a couple of caveats for that. If your dad has a favorite team and they instill it in you, that's a that's a valid reason of having that as your favorite team. Yeah. Now you can't go after the dad though if he has a stupid reason like any or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> but you can no longer go after the kid. Yeah. If Matt had said, if Matt had said, Well, my dad loved him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That's Max, that's Matt's understandable. Kid, when he has a son, will be exempt. Yeah. yeah. I, I it's funny because I, I I literally specifically remember a time when I was a kid. We're at my grandparents' house, and they had an Indiana basketball team on, and my uncles, you know, uncles laying on the floor watching it. Grandpa's in the in the chair. Um, dad's my dad's there too, and they ask me, you know, like what which team are you rooting for? And I'm like. This is like seriously one of my like earliest memories. And I remember them I remember saying that I liked the blue team. At this time I, I assume that was probably Michigan. I have no idea. It could have been anybody. But uh <laughs> and they're like, No, you can't like you literally can't be here if you're uh if you're <laughs> not rooting for Indiana. Like they and as like a little kid, I believed them that I would not be allowed to stay there at my grandparents if I didn't if I didn't root for Indiana. <laughs> How quickly did you switch over? Uh, instantly, as soon as they said that, I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll take that team. In. All right, blue look nice. Red's pretty cool too. It's no blue, but oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I miss Indiana having a good basketball team. No kidding. Not that I would necessarily cheer for them. There's just certain <laughs> teams that I think it, you know North it's- Carolina. Indiana, KU, I like it. Have those Duke? Like, you want the blue bud teams? I hate no. I hate Duke. I hate. But there's still a blue bud. Uh, here's my list yes, of yes. if I had to say a list of blue blood basketball teams, it would be. And maybe I'm missing some, but it's Indiana, it's Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Michigan State. I don't know if I'm missing any, but that would be Kentucky. my Kentucky. Kentucky, yeah. See mm-hmm. those. Yeah, that that'd be my blue blood teams for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we can say all those teams and none of them are in the tournament right now. Yeah, it's been a bad year for, for Blue Buzz. I'm looking at it right now. It looks like Wyatt Lucas is in first. Awesome. For the 100 bucks. Yeah, he might take it all. So it'll be interesting. And Next couple weeks. FLO is in this is a close second. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my, my team I picked is out. Your team's out. I'll, I think anybody... Yeah. That has Gonzaga's probably got the best chance of winning the whole thing now at this point. I pick Gonzaga in my family bracket. I have a family bracket every year, and I let I make my kids pick, and whoever wins gets ten dollars. And I am firmly in last place behind <laughs> all of my children. <laughs> and I've got, but I did pick Gonzaga to win. But um, my daughter Penelope, she's dominating. <laughs> she, she's my thirteen-year-old. She was not watched a single basketball game in her life. Is dominating, and she's got <laughs> Baylor, and I've got uh, Gonzaga, so I still have a chance. In that. Nice, nice. All right, well, let's go ahead get a quick word from our partners, and we'll jump right into it. So, first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to Onyx, uh, guys. Check them out on Android, Apple, or 
on PC as well. Um, perfect for mapping mapping everything out for your hunts, whether it's locally, going on out-of-state trips. Um, you can just pull it up there. You get the information for public land, um, knowing all the boundaries and uh, of any place you're looking at on the map, um, as well as really good for uh, obtaining permission on private land. Gives you the landowner's information, um, gives you their tax address so if it's like a farm and ag field and there's no house around you can click on that and on x and it'll show you their address you can drive over there get permission get on that awesome feed and start smacking the birds so uh definitely check out on x on whether it's smartphone or pc um definitely definitely check those guys out yeah and to add on to that a little bit i'm not gonna reveal it to you yet jordan but I think I have some really good farm ponds in the mix for adding to my arsenal of hunting places. And uh, we've got this landowner that owns like 70,000 acres. And so <laughs> I, I didn't know Onyx had this function. I didn't know it. My, my mom figured out because she knows this guy and met him. And anyway, I'll tell more of that story at a different time once we actually get acquire the access. But you can go on Onyx and search a landowner's name and all of their parcels come up. I didn't even know that feature was there until two days ago. So we've got this guy's name and we search the name and we're just going through each piece of his property and putting a pin on all his ponds. And, uh, and from there we're going to go feed on the ground boots on the ground. So I didn't know it had that picture. Did you know that? I did not more. You learn. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's onyx is amazing. Um, motion ducks. So I had been crying to Jordan for about a couple of years about not being able to shoot ducks on days with no wind. Not crime, but it's been a common theme. It's like, how do we attack this problem? Because my bird per average was about a full duck less on days where the wind was below six. And so we had this idea of, well, let's just go small spreads. And that helped a little bit. Well, I was looking through my data. I've been using motion ducks um, the last couple of years. And on days where there was wind below six, my average previously was around two and a half over the last, I don't know, this last year, last two years the hunts with no wind were over three. Um, in fact, they were just as good as days with wind. Now the sample size is a, is a little small yet. Um, I think it was, I can't, I'm not even going to say how many it was without actually looking at it, but <laughs> with the motion ducks decoy spreader and a small set, like sometimes Jordan just uses only the motion duck decoy spreader. It's, it's, it's solving the problem. Um, it, it, it is what you guys need for those days where there's no wind and you need motion in your system. You can have a four or seven duck spreader. I'm just using the four. I'm not even using the seven. Um, and it's it's just phenomenal. Duck Gun 2020 is the product code where you can get 10% off and free shipping. If you have not, even if you have a regular jerk rig, we used regular jerk rigs before. This is just a better system. Um, go get yourself one. Awesome. Also like to give a big thanks out to Bandit, Avery, and Greenhead Gear. Um, guys, if you're checking out your products for this off season, going into next season, it is your one stop shop for everything waterfowl. Um, from the Avery section with their hunting uh hunting dog section, uh from banded waders to decoys, uh to camo, they got it all. Ellie and I have been wearing their stuff for the past couple seasons and we're absolutely loving it. And, uh, you know, there's definitely awesome products out there. Whatever you need, check them out there, banded.com. All right, guys, if you don't get enough Duck Gun Chronicles, Freelance Duck Gun, the Duck Gun podcast content, 
come on over to Patreon. It's patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting and join join Jordan and I and that community going on there. We just had a couple guys sign up in the last day or so. Um, and actually when this uh, podcast episode is done, Jordan and I are going to record just a special segment for Patreon. And when we interact with patrons over there and they say, hey, I get a question. In fact, the question I got um, from Douglas that we're going to be talking about and when this is over is scouting rivers. He moved to a new area and he's like, I want to scout the rivers. Give me some advice on that. So Jordan and I, we are I'm recording a little side podcast just for that question. Go on over there and sign up with us and join that community. Awesome. A little side note on that, Elliot. I don't know if you remember this, but the first podcast episode I ever had you on before you were, were officially a part of the Duck Gun Podcast. You know what our episode was? What was it? It was tips for hunting the river with freelance duck hunting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so way back Feb- we'll February 14th, 2018. So um, go back and listen to that. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a fun one. Little little podcast we'll do. Um, little 10, 15-minute segment um, all about river hunting. And I've been loving the late season river hunting we've been having here. So, well, it'll be about scouting specifically. So, um, but yeah. Yeah, but I'm excited about that topic because the, the like the river systems that you that you hunt are vastly different than the ones I hunt. So yeah. I, I'm looking forward to that conversation. So if you guys want to hear that, go patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. Awesome. Alrighty. Let's go ahead and jump in today's podcast topic. So the topic we got for today. What is that? Oh, well, actually we had one bit of news we we're gonna share before we jumped into Today's podcast. So, um, something of note of interest in the waterfowl world is um, a new regulation, a new license options option for Nebraska and um, South Dakota. If you guys are on social media, it's been all over the place the last week. Um, I've seen posts on multiple of the forums. So, um, definitely interesting. I know Elliot and me have a little bit of different takes on it. Um, but the thing that is, it's not even being proposed. It's the thing that's actually happening for Nebraska and South Dakota is they're going to have two different types of licenses. One is your traditional six bird, uh, normal, uh, normal limits, like, uh, f- five mallards, two hens, one pintail, um, all that kind of stuff. The bird limits and all that are going to stay the same as they've done in previous years. Um, but the thing is different is they have a second option, a, a, a different tier uh, I think is what they're calling it. Is that right? A tier? I can't remember. I think. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the exact name. That yeah, they're calling it. Can't remember the exact the exact verbiage on that, but um, but yeah. So the, the second one is a three bird limit, and you don't have to be specific on the species. So you can shoot three pintail hens if you wanted. It's not even that you wanted. It's um. You just don't have to identify anything. You can shoot three canvas backs. You can yeah. shoot three of anything that you want to shoot. Three mallard hens. It's just three ducks is the limit. It could be three mallard drakes. It could be three pintail drakes. Um, yeah, it could be three canvas back. So um, I didn't. I didn't read. I wonder if it, if they had further on in in the. Well, it shouldn't. It shouldn't uh, change for geese. You wouldn't think, but <laughs> maybe there is something in there for geese. I'd have to look. At that further, I just well, that, what is that the, thought just is, came to me. Yeah, that, I would think that would be probably well. There's, they didn't there's specs they in Canada's and all that, right? So, yeah, and, yeah. and it's really oh, targeted towards it's targeted towards new hunters, um, and trying to increase their chances of hunter recruitment 
So, Elliot, go ahead with your uh, hot take on this one. Sure. So my understanding is that the objective of this idea is to get more new hunters into the sport of waterfowling. So in my way of thinking, what that means is they believe that one of the deterrents of getting into waterfowl hunting is not being able to properly ID a bird. So guys are sitting there and going, man, I would love to waterfowl hunt, but I just can't ID birds and I'm scared I'm going to shoot something. There's something, you know, uh, an illegal bird, an illegal duck. And that, and that is what's stopping people from getting into waterfowl hunting. And if they just take a little pressure off, so, you know, Joe can just go out there and shoot at any duck he sees fly until he has three, that that's going to bring more people into the sport. And I, I don't think that there's a problem with this idea. I just don't think it's going to be, um, I don't think it's going to meet their objective of more hunters in uh, hunting. I, I just, when I think of, you know, some guys getting into waterfowl hunting for the first time, first of all, I don't think there's a lot of guys just sitting around and going, man, I would do a lot more waterfowl hunting if I birds. I don't think that probably exists very much. Um, and if someone's going to get into waterfowl hunting for the first time, they're like, well, if I get this tag, I can shoot three. If, or if I get this tag, I can shoot six. Oh, I'm going to take the tag where I can only shoot three. I don't think many people are going to be doing that. Um, so I, I don't have any issue with it. It's it's in the news and it's getting waterfowl talked about um, maybe and a little exposure. But I, I don't think it's going to be successful of raising the new hunter. Um, and maybe they should just maybe they should say, hey, your first year of waterfowl hunting. Um, I don't know if I like that. I was, I was going to say. You know, the first year you water hunting, this has to be your provisional tag until you can ID better. I don't, I don't know. I just don't think it's going to meet the goal that there are of more duck hunters getting into the sport. Yeah. I mean, I, just, I feel like it's going to, and maybe you could say like substantially, but there's 100% going to be a lot of those sold. Um, those A lot? You think there's going to be a lot of those sold? I mean, when you think about the number. I think of, there will be a few. A few. <laughs> Proportionally. For, percentage okay, wise, I think there will be a few eight. percentage, but a few percentage is still like a thousand, you know, plus. No. So if if Nebraska, I think Nebraska has about twelve to fifteen thousand waterfowl hunters. I think that's about the range. I bet you they'll sell a couple hundred. Would be my guess. Yeah, at well, the most. South Dakota too. So you got both those states. I don't know. It'll be interesting. I was just saying that. Nebraska, I feel like they have to. Like they had to have looked at the numbers and all that. Um, to do this, you know, you, they wouldn't just do this blindly. You wouldn't think anyway, because I'm sure it costs. No, you got some committee sitting around and they're brainstorming. It's like, hmm, what can we do to get more hunters in? And some schmo at the end of the table goes, <laughs> I know. And then he says it and everyone's staring around and everyone likes the guy. And they're like, well, well yeah, I guess that can, maybe, yeah, I guess we could try Joe's idea or schmo's idea. Okay, let's try it. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Next thing you know, boom. And the law. Now, now, now Joe's never going to listen to our podcast again. <laughs> this acronym was Schmo. <laughs> yeah. Some Schmo. Yeah. I'm definitely not as, a, like, I feel like it's a decent idea, especially for some newer hunters. Like, I feel like sometimes you're separated from, like, newer hunters having hunted for 30 years. But just think about, there's so many stories I hear about new hunters misidentifying birds like almost without doubt if you talk to somebody who's a new hunter in the first few years that they hunted they misidentified and killed birds that they shouldn't have 
<laughs> sure. Yeah, that happens. I just don't think many of them would be like, yeah, sign me up for half a limit a day. I just, I, yeah, I, just I only want to be able to shoot three. I mean, <laughs> I, I just don't think there's that many guys that are humble enough to be like, yeah, I'm scared about that idea. And for this whole season, I can, I just only want to be able to shoot. Well, maybe you should, you should start <laughs> hanging out with some different friends then. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Would you have done it your first year? Um, maybe I might've done it my no, first year. Whatever. <laughs> I went, okay. I might've, cause if I, you only want to be able to shoot three ducks. On if your I, first if year I lived somewhere like Nebraska, I probably would have had to my first couple of years. I'm not going to lie. Probably. Cause like, the majority of my hunting was just me going out by myself. But why, why wouldn't you take a field guide with you and not pull the trigger unless you're sure, or, you know, maybe you're, you could be with someone who did know, but, but, and like take the first five hunts and be like, okay, I'm going to be really careful on this. I'm not going to shoot anything unless I'm sure I'm just going to use my idea book and I'm going to watch. And then as you go along, I mean, you're tying yourself in for an entire season of only being able to shoot half a limit. But most people, I, I their just, first season, don't even shoot half a limit. <laughs> yes, but they don't know that. They don't, they don't anticipate that. I'm sure I when think, you went out there. I think if year, I had I to know. choose between hunting and only killing three birds and sitting there with a, a book in my hand and watching birds, I would have chose the to go with the three birds. Well, I don't, I don't think having a field ID is a bad idea in your bag. Um, no, but you're saying, you're saying if you don't know how to hunt, sit out there for five hunts and look at your book of pictures of birds and watch birds Unless that you're are sure. flying. I mean, you know what a mallard, people know what mallards look like. I mean, there's some things that, you know, it, it, once you, with a little bit of work, you, you're going to, you're going to be able to identify unless you're, unless you've never seen ducks ever before <laughs> and you're out there by yourself. It's not like you're not going to know what any of the ducks are. I've, you're going to know what some of the ducks are. So I'm saying if a, if an odd duck comes through or, or if it's, you know, right at the beginning of the light and you're not sure what it is, just be careful is basically what I'm saying. Just be careful. Have a, have a field guide with you. Be careful. Now, I, I do know that, that it's almost like, it's almost like an outdated idea back during the point system, which I didn't hunt during the point system. I know for a fact inst- that hunters felt very stressed out and they felt the weight of all the regulations on them. Because there was just so many different regulations. And a lot of that has been lifted to this point. I and mean, we've got very generous bag limits. You're not you're never gonna pull the trigger, I guess, on a pintail. If you shot two pintails, you could. But I just I just don't think that I, it's a novel idea. I don't if their goal is substantially raising the number of new people to waterfowl hunting, I just don't think it's gonna help. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> I think that it probably won't substantially help, but I think that it will help some. I guess is where well, if if you know, we'll see how much it helps. And I'm, yeah. I'm not against them doing it. I just think if that's their grand idea of getting a big push of new hunters, then they need to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's just uh, it doesn't hurt. Just have those two options. No, why not? You know, allow yeah. that for new hunters, especially. In a, in a time where there's been more and more hunters with less and less mentorship. Yeah. I don't think it hurt at all. And I could see like, I mean, the way it was this year, once you're, you know, in those stage of hunting, once you're in more of the later phases of the stages, you'd be like, you know what? I want to be able to shoot three pintails. I want to be able <laughs> to shoot as many. I love pintails. I want to shoot as many as I can this year. So I'm going to get the three and I'm just going to, you know, on those days where there's a lot of pintails around, I'm just going to target them, you know? I, I would see that as more of a draw 
than than uh, acquiring new hunters into the sport. Yeah. No, I definitely can see some. I, I think they will sell some for people doing that. Even if you think about people coming from out of state at a time of the year when there's a lot of pintails, you could see people doing that, right? Just go up to Nebraska when the pintails are coming through and <laughs> that would be, yeah, get three be, wall hangers yeah. per day. So yeah, time will tell. Time will tell on that one. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do a review of, I'm sure they'll have the numbers of how many of those are sold and it'll be interesting to interesting to know. And I don't think even though it, the numbers I want to know are how many were sold of people who don't duck hunt. If that's the goal, I don't want to know how many are sold. I want to know of what were sold. We're bringing people into the sport. Cause if that's the objective of, of the idea, but like he's, like you said, there's no harm to it. There's if, and some people may think it's fun, something new. There's no, certainly no harm to it. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, here we are 36 minutes plus into the podcast. I don't think we even mentioned at the beginning what, <laughs> what the topic was for today. Um, but we're going to be talking about, um, shooting tips. So, um, you know, I feel, I almost feel a little hypocritical. Is that the right word? Uh, giving shooting tips after having at least like half my season felt like a terrible slump this year. Um, you know, we could have done it last year when I was shooting lights out, but this, this year, and I went through a little slump. By the end of the season, I was knocking them down. But, um, you know, that's just part of the game. Sometimes it's more mental than anything else. I'd say most of the time it's more mental than anything else. And I think that actually gives you more more um, authority to have a good opinion because people who are naturally good shots, like my uncle and my grandpa, certainly not me or my father, we've always had our slumping times. Um, us people who know how to struggle – we're the ones that know how to work on shooting. Natural shooters don't have to go through these things because they're just fantastic shots. Of course, there's those people that just practice and, and get good, but some guys are just naturals at at shooting. And I don't think those are necessarily the ones that want to give the the tips on how to improve your shooting. <laughs> it's those guys that struggle that, yeah. that have experience with that. Yeah, their their uh their tips is probably just aim at it and pull the trigger. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> don't think too much. Just pull the trigger. Yeah, so let's go ahead. Um, we wrote out we wrote out a little list on here. I don't think we even got it in any order or anything like that. Uh, oh yeah, uh, we want to talk about our our shooting percentages from last year. You know, put me to shame. <laughs> well, I think more than that is just the ebb and flow of the shooting percentages. You know, I mean, I've been keeping my shooting percentage for about seven to ten years, and I know there's. You know, uh, there's years where I've shot 35% and there's years where I've shot 60%. And so um, you're going to have bad shooting slumps, I think, is the point of it, is that most people are going to experience either a section of the season or an entire season or just those days and those hunts where you're just really, really struggling. I know um, one of my a couple of about three years ago, I, I went on a stretch where I was layout boat hunting. I went like four for 36 and so, you know, it's just, that's going to happen. Those, those times are going to happen to most of us. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So I guess you want to lead with what, what your percentages are. Let's just do, I guess, the last three years or something. Yeah. I don't, I don't have them pulled up, but um, in my last six years, um, I did two years in a row where I just, could, my first two years on my channel, I just shot terrible, just terrible. And I'm a very selective shooter. 
And so when I shoot in the mid thirties, it's just a bad, bad, bad year. Cause I don't, I don't pull the trigger at everything. I'm very careful with what shots I take. And I actually used many of the tips that Jordan and I are going to present today. Um, and I have the last three years I've shot high fifties and this year was my first year in the sixties. So, um, and a lot of that was limiting my third shell, but, um, I used a lot of these tips and I'm three years in a row. I've just really, really been the the kind of shooter I've always wanted to be. I'm still not naturally a phenomenal shooter. I've got to work at it and, and I'm left eye dominant. So I've got, I shoot with one eye shut, which makes it more difficult. But my shooting percentage over the last three has been upper 50s and then this year 60. Nice. 60.4. 60.4. Awesome. Yeah, mine have been uh, a little bit less than that. So (laughs) Um, mine have been in the upper 40s until this season. And I had a slump where I think the majority of the season I was like mid 30s, which just is a, it feels like a really bad decrease <laughs> when you look at percentage wise mm-hmm. it felt a lot yeah. worse than that but um it just felt like i couldn't hit anything um but then towards this the end of the season it's like i couldn't miss again i pulled it back up above 40 and just just a little disclaimer guys these numbers absolutely mean nothing like percentage we just do it for our own kind of learning our own kind of um it's just good information to have if, if you want it but <laughs> i know we get a lot of times we get bad rap people for whatever reason, the percentage number more than anything else, people, it's almost like they get up in arms about us keeping keeping our shooting percentage. But mm-hmm. it's just for our own kind of personal reference and own personal personal betterment of our our, our shooting. So that's why we keep them. Um, but to continue on, yeah. yeah, this year I had a little bit of slump, and and just like you, um, use some of these tips to help bring me out of it. Um, yeah. So let's go ahead and and go through kind of some of the tips we got. Go ahead, Elliot. So I, I made this switch a couple of years ago, right? As I was coming out of my slump is when I went to shoot clays, I shot um, steel loads at that time I was shooting steel. So I firmly believe in shooting hunting loads when you're um, shooting clays, unless you're just working on mechanic things like shouldering your gun and, and, um, and, and that type of thing. I, I believe that when I go and I shoot target, I want it to be the same loads um, I don't like switching velocity in my shells throughout throughout a season. So if I'm using, um, um, let's say, a Federal Blue Box, which is what I used to use before we started Boss, it was a 1550 shell. I don't want to use a 1550 shell one day and the next day use a 1450. Those velocities do make a difference. And so especially if you're going to switch to a lead um, when you're shooting clays and that lead may be 1350, which is a kind of a common speed for lead and then you go out water for hunting you're going to shoot 1550 expect to have issues because it's just it's different the speeds are different so i would practice it's like you wouldn't go um, practice with a um, a kid's basketball uh, um, for for your team practice because when you get in the game and you're using a regulation basketball you're just going to be off so I, that's what I, I would certainly say use the same shell during practice that you are during the game yeah yeah, and that's definitely definitely a good analogy uh, with the using the the child's ball compared to what you're going to use in regulation. So, um, next tip I got, um, I actually was going to put further on in the list, but uh, kind of goes hand in hand with what you're talking about there, Elliot. And um, this one is going and shooting shooting pigeons 
Um, because it, it feels a little bit better to use waterfowl <laughs> shells on pigeons than it does on clays. Not a whole lot better, but you know, because definitely because the price difference, but, um, you know, I, I've done that in the past to kind of keep myself sharp through off season. Um, especially years where I've known that I've had a slump and when to go into the season and I'll say last year was my best, not this last season, the season before that was my best shooting season. Um, and I shot a lot of pigeons leading up, leading up to season. So I think that definitely helps. Uh, you, it's just almost like <laughs> it's, it's a, a much more accurate representation of a bird of a duck flying because it is a bird, but a, a duck flying than a clay pigeon. Um, so I definitely think that that kind of helps going, you know, the same line you're saying, going to the range and all that. Um, and you can work the mechanics and all that the same as well. Yeah. Um, in my, in my struggles, I figured out that my main problem is when I shoulder the gun, I'm not looking straight down the barrel. And I figured this out a few years ago that I would pull up the gun quickly and I just wouldn't. And I, I, I honestly, I think it's because my a 300 needs to be adjusted with the shims, um, which we've got on list to talk about as well. And I looked up how to do that and it seemed I don't know. I watched a whole YouTube video on it. Just seemed overwhelming to me. So I never did it. So I, when I bring my gun up, um, I don't think that it naturally um, comes up properly. And the way to check this is close your eyes, shoulder your gun, and then open your eyes and see if you're looking straight down the barrel. And you should be, if you're doing it right, you should be able to do it with your eyes closed. And on mine, typically it just doesn't quite fit right. So I, I have had to make the adjustment um, before I pull the trigger, just to make absolutely certain that I'm looking straight down the barrel. And one way that you can do this, and this is this is the way that I really improved my shooting in a layout boat, is but you can do it, you know, anywhere in your house. Just get your shotgun, make sure it's unloaded, and just practice shouldering your gun and pointing it at a fixed location in the room. Do five times on one spot, five times on the next, and and just practice that, you know, 50 times a day, a few different times. And that repetition will really, really help you shoulder. I mean, I don't know how many times that you guys hunt in a year. If you only hunt five, ten times, you know, you're you may only be shooting a hundred shells in a year or fifty or whatever. And that so you're not getting that much repetition of actually shouldering your gun and looking straight down the barrel. So practice that. Practice that shouldering, practice getting it on fixed locations in your house. If you're shooting out of a layout blind or a layout boat, like I was, I, I put my layout boat in my garage and I laid in it. And I did about three sessions of it where I sat up and just quickly shouldered and, and <laughs> onto fixed points. It makes a big, big difference. Oh yeah. I definitely can attest to that. That's actually the same, the same one that I used this year when I was having an issue. And one thing that I've seen is if you switch from one gun to another, it's like you're almost used to doing it perfectly. And mm-hmm. then you do it to the point where when you hunt as much as us, and I mean, probably most people, you just almost do it to a point where it's like an extension of your body. And then you grab a different gun and you go to shoulder it and it doesn't fit the same way. And you almost don't think about it. And, um, your sight, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling for the, the words here, but your sight, you're visualizing on the bird and almost your brain almost like subtracts the shotgun out of the, the image that you're seeing. And you just only see like the end of your barrel and you're leading on the gun. So the issue I was having is um, I wasn't getting it flat. So if you looked and after the bird's gone, I'd kind of look and I could notice that the gun's almost like, it almost looked like a ramp instead of being perfectly flat 
all the way down yeah, the barrel. That's exactly my problem. Same yeah. one. Okay, I wasn't sure if you were saying left or right, but that's the one I have. No, that's I'm, exactly the same thing. Yeah, just not not looking level down the the barrel. Yeah. So that happens for me when I go from like my twenty gauge to my twelve gauge, and it's almost like you don't notice it, or you don't. It's not like you don't. You actually don't notice it until after you shot, and you're like, huh, what I do? Oh yeah, I'm not getting all the way down. I'm not getting my face all the mm-hmm. way down on on the gun. It's not flat. And same thing. Usually what I do is I pick like a corner of the wall or I pick one of my mounts that's on the wall and aim on the head and just do it over and over, shouldering it. And then kind of the one up from that, the level up from that is pick a corner and then follow the line to like along that line. I've not done that. That's a good one. Yeah. So you aim on that corner and then you follow, follow with your gun that line. So that's, that's kind of the level up from, from just the point there. Um, yeah, that, that's a really good one. Um, what was I going to talk about? There was some point I was going to make weird thing that's happening. Oh, oh, I know. Um, with the shouldering, do it in the field too. Um, what, before you know, you're sitting there in the dark, you got five minutes to shooting him. Go ahead and practice shouldering that gun because you may have on a jacket. That's a little bit bulkier. That's getting in your way. You may have a stick in front of you. That's getting caught on your barrel, but practice that shouldering three or four times, even, even in the field. Um, yeah. I find that 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 makes a big a big difference. Yeah, and then kind of kind of uh, leading oh. kind of leading on, you know, for taking that even one step further, you know, even after I've done all that, you know, you have a bird working in and you're struggling, you know, you're struggling on hunts the last couple couple times on your shooting, you know, you're struggling. Um, that bird that comes in, man, just make sure you're holding your aim on it. You know, take your time like crazy on it. Uh, and, and as soon as it's weird, it's almost like once you get that bird to fall and you know that you just crushed them, it's like you're back in the game. <laughs> it's just, and it, once you get that confidence back, it's, it's almost like it clicks, you get it right and you can kind of continue on for there. But just until you get that one, it's just aim, aim slow, take your time, shoulder, make sure everything's right and just really bear down on that duck and watch it crumple. And then just all your confidence yeah, so will come back. Fine. It's a fine line too, because you can over aim. And so it's like some people like this, like snap shooting where they don't, they don't want to take a lot of time, but I, I'm with you. Um, especially on my first shot on a bird, I need to take that extra moment to not shoot too quick. Cause I find I was having that issue where, um, a bird would come in and just hover over the spinner and I'd miss the first shot. And this happened, like it was happening repetitively. So just like you said, I started just, okay, take a deep breath. Give it just that extra split second to make sure you're not behind the bird. I saw in one of my videos where it happened where one little feather on my first shot came off this mallard and it was right off its butt. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay. And with the shot cam has been so tremendously good on misses to see where you're missing. Yeah. With me, I actually was surprised that I was missing in front of birds more often than I thought I was. Where I, I, I always, my uncle had always said, my uncle's just an amazing shooter, is that 90% of the time if you miss, you're not you're behind the bird. And so I just got in my head that every single time I missed a bird, I was, I was behind it, which I, I still think is, is a good portion true. But on the shot cam, I was surprised at how many times I was actually in front of the bird. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. If money's not an issue, shot cam is a great, a great tool. You know, if you're struggling bad enough, maybe, <laughs> maybe cough up the money anyway. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause def- you can use that at the clay range too, you know? Yeah. Alrighty. Next one we got is um, limiting a bad third shot. And you kind of mentioned this earlier, 
Um, a lot of times, if you, <laughs> a lot of times, if you miss twice, you really, a lot of people want to run it till the gun's empty. Um, you know, I've even, I've even, I've seen that shared on social media. There was, there was actually a post and it was like duck club laws or something like that. And one of them was, um, run it till your gun's empty. And I think that's just like a terrible, <laughs> a terrible standard. Yeah. For duck hunters, not only that, but also, and I get like they're you're saying like you know kind of be aggressive, go after the the ducks. We all want to shoot ducks, but I think it's irresponsible to just always say that you always have to do that. Um, you know, so that's just that's almost another another subject. But as far as like shooting more birds, you know, um, or having good shooting, you're just gonna just limit your 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 third shot, and that's really gonna help you. <laughs> Um, be more accurate, you know, just in the long run. So, I mean, yeah, I, I know that there's going to be people saying, well, you miss every shot you don't take, but, um, yeah, so def- definitely, you don't want to, you don't want to wound birds for no reason. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of feel like your third shot, unless you think the bird is wounded, your third shot shouldn't be something that you wouldn't take on your first shot Yeah, for the most part. So, I mean, and man, you, you you watch you just watch videos. You see people do it all the time. Their second and third shot, they're just they're just putting steel in the butt of birds too much. I know we've talked about this a lot, but the only time I, that I, the only time that I would say that it's okay is if you already know you've shot a bird and you're just trying to to finish it off. Even if you're shooting them, yes, shooting them in the butt, they're leaving. You're like, okay, that thing is missing half its wing. Well, I think you have a moral obligation to empty your gun if you think it's wounded. If any, if anyone, and if you see a wounded bird, no matter who's wounded it, I think everyone should be emptying their gun on that bird for sure. No matter what distance, hail mary shot. If that bird's wounded, you want to do anything you can to try to get it get it on the water. Yep. This one's you, yeah. Elliot. <laughs> I thought I didn't know we had any more left. Which one am I missing? Um. You're right. I guess we hit them all. <laughs> oh, you had one. It says, "Don't let missing shots get into your head." Oh yeah, you kind of, you kind of touched on that a little bit, and I've I have had really poor success at following this rule because, and man, this is true in sports in general. I mean, it's like people talk about getting in the zone, where if you're shooting. I mean, I played high school basketball, and I had this one game. It's like I just cannot miss. I just could not miss, and I was like even hitting like not quite a half court shot, but like close to a half court shot at the end of a quarter. It's like everything I threw up, would just like went in and uh, shooting. can be the same way where once you start nailing them, you just feel like you can't miss and vice versa. is true. I mean, when you are, you, you, you pull an O for seven or something and man, it starts sinking into your head and you get discouraged and you know, you put in all this work and all this effort and you're in the spot and you're blowing it and you feel this, you feel this awesome hunt slipping through your fingers. And that's when it's time to, give yourself some self-talk and deep breath. And, and it's hard to do when you get that sinking attitude, it's hard to pull out of that. Um, but you need to really, really work to shake it off. Make sure that you're for looking down the barrel, follow, you know, all these other mechanical things and, and, and try to not let it get into your head. But I'll say, I will say once it is in your head, it is hard to get it out of there. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely agree with you on all that. So hopefully guys, Hopefully this helps you guys in your uh, off season, you know, practicing, practice some of this and making sure you're sharp going into season. Um, but I think that's about all we got for tonight. Elliot, what do you got? 
You got anything coming up in off season? Anything exciting? Uh, nope. I gotta just keep on working Georgie on those hand signals and trying to hopefully not embarrass myself at whatever hunt test I decide to go on. <laughs> uh, but that's about it. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm still grinding away on the bus little by little 45 minutes here, hour here working on it. Um, so <laughs> hopefully I get that thing done before season. Um, it's, it's been a grind. So, um, but beyond that, I got a huge list of off season content make to make for videos. So I'm working on, on that as well. So, um, should be fun though. Season will be back in before we know it. Alrighty, fellas. Thanks everybody for tuning in for another episode of the duck gun podcast. I'm Jordan from duck and Chronicles, Elliot from freelance duck hunting, and we'll see you guys on the next one.